0: You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Good morning. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. Last Sunday, we began a new sermon series called Desiring the Kingdom, in which we're studying through the book's Of First and Second Kings. And in these books, we are looking at a time period in the history of Israel that was very significant. Uh, It actually begins with their golden age. And we're going to see their their society, their kingdom decline to the point where they end up in exile uh, by the end of these books. It's 400 years of history of the nation of Israel but more than anything, as we said last week, in all of these stories, what we are going to be pointed to constantly is the promise of God of an everlasting kingdom and its King, Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's the story that is underneath all of these stories that we're going to see as we study through these books. So today we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, and the text we're going to read together is 1 Kings 3 verses 3 through 14. So if you'd like to read along with me, that's where we'll be. It begins like this Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I, did not, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people?" I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we study it, Lord, we need understanding. Just as Solomon asked, Lord, would you enlighten our eyes? Would you give us listening hearts and understanding minds, Lord, that we might see in your word beautiful things and apply them to our lives, we ask. Thank you, Jesus. You are the wisdom of God given to us. And so we turn to you now and ask that you teach us and that we would receive everything you have for us in this passage. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. If you could ask God for just one thing, what would it be? If God said, ask anything you want and it'll be yours, what would you ask? Would you ask for money? Would you ask for success? Would you ask for friendship? Maybe you would ask for physical health, or maybe it's something for somebody you know and love that you would ask for God to do for you or do for them. Solomon was presented with this great question from God, this offer from God for anything he wanted. And the response that Solomon gave was something that impressed God and pleased God. See, Solomon asked not for money or power, not for health or wealth. Solomon asked for wealth wisdom. Solomon realized that this was something that he lacked, something that he needed from God, and he had the humility to admit his need and ask God to fill up what he lacked and meet the need that he had. As we look at this story, all of us, like Solomon, we have many needs that only God can meet. And in reality, Solomon's desire for God's wisdom was actually something bigger. This is what we're going to see. It was something bigger than just the need to know how to respond in certain situations. It was actually the desire for something bigger than Solomon himself probably realized at the time. You see, we all need the wisdom of God, not only to make right decisions in life, we also need the wisdom of God in order to save us. I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, the wisdom of God which Solomon desired and which all of us need, the wisdom of God was made manifest in a person who walked this earth. That's what we're going to see as we go on. The title of today's message is Wisdom from God. And there are three key elements to this story that we're going to see as we go through this passage in 1 Kings chapter 3. The three key elements are, number one, a divided heart. A divided heart. The second one is a noble request And thirdly, we're going to see the response of God. So let's look at that first one, a divided heart. Chapter three begins with these words. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Okay so marriage between royal families was a common practice in the ancient world as well as in the middle ages and even up to this present day I uh, you know I learned something watching the crown on Netflix and that is that queen elizabeth of england is married to prince philip who is a prince of Greece, right? And so this is still something that goes on to these days. And in, in many ways, this isn't just a matter of royals wanting to only associate with people of their same class and stature. Uh, a big part of it, especially in the past, was that these marriages were really marriages about political alliances. They were ways that people made treaties and political alliances. You see, if Pharaoh's daughters married to the king of Israel, you know they have dinner together, they have the the grandkids in common, right? And so they're much more likely to get along and have peace and work together between their nations. But here's the thing you need to see in all of this. Uh, It doesn't immediately appear. You kind of have to look around, and that's this. This was not Solomon's first marriage. Now, if you just read here in 1 Kings chapter 3, it appears like, okay, and so Solomon got married, and this was his first marriage. No, we know this wasn't his first marriage because in 1 Kings chapter 14, later on, it tells us that Solomon's son Rehoboam was 41 years old when he took the throne. And 1 Kings 11 tells us that Solomon reigned for 40 years. So you do the math. And what that means is that Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was one year old at the time when Solomon took the throne and he was born. It tells us his mom's name later on. It tells that her name was Nama the ammonitis, okay, so this marriage to the to the daughter of Pharaoh, this was in reality Solomon's second and perhaps even his third or fourth marriage. We can't know for sure. there's some theories, by the way, if you've read the Song of Solomon that that is actually the story of Solomon's first marriage to a woman from Jerusalem. Now again, we don't know, and it's really hard to keep track of, but the, we do know this, that before it's all said and done, Solomon is going to marry a lot more people than just these guys, right? Now, now, remember, the Bible is, in a way, reporting the news, right? It's not, it's not telling us that God was okay with or God condoned this practice of Solomon having multiple wives. In fact, he certainly didn't, and we will talk about that as we go on in this story. But these multiple marriages of Solomon— The thing we need to see today is specifically this, specifically his marriages to pagan women. These are something that is going to lead to great spiritual disaster in his life. Later on in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah will speak to the people that he's leading, and he'll say, he'll warn them not to follow in the error of King Solomon, who, though he was a great king, fell into error. Why? Because he married pagan women. Women who did not share his faith did not share his devotion to God. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us very clearly. It says this, Solomon had many foreign wives from the nations of which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away from God to their gods. And it says then, Solomon worshiped their gods and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And check this out. He did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. And Solomon built altars for his foreign wives, and he made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. See, the issue was not one of marrying women who were foreigners. The issue was not that these were people of different Races or ethnicities, not at all. The issue was that these were pagan people. They worshiped different gods, they had different religions. See, God's law given through Moses did not forbid marrying people of other nationalities, what it forbade or forbid, I'm not sure on that one, forbid or forbade, what it did was it said it's not okay to marry people who worship other gods. So Ruth, for example, if you've heard of the book of Ruth, it's the story of a woman who was a foreigner. She was from Moab. And yet, uh, though she was initially a pagan, through her relationship with a woman named Naomi, she becomes a worshiper of the one true God. And she ends up becoming the great-grandmother of King David, the great-great-grandmother of Solomon. And of course, she's part of Jesus's family line. Again, a foreigner, but not a pagan. So the issue was not intermarriage between people of other nationalities. The issue was intermarriage between people of different faiths. And we see the same principle carried through into the New Testament as well, where we're told that followers of Jesus should not be unequally yoked with people who are not followers of Jesus. Why, you might ask. You know, isn't that kind of arbitrary? Why does God want to control those kind of things? I mean, love is love, right? Well... Now, if you would have been an ancient person or even even somebody who lives in an agrarian society today, that picture of being unequally yoked would have been very meaningful to you. You would have understood immediately why God is saying not to do it. And here's why. Because a yoke is a wooden contraption that's used to link two animals together so that they can pull something, so they can accomplish a task, whether that's pulling a plow or pulling a cart or pulling a wagon. And if you were an ancient person, of course, you would immediately know Know that you would never yoke two different kinds of animals to each other, right? So you might yoke two donkeys or two horses or two oxen, but you wouldn't uh, mix the two. And the reason is because those animals are of different sizes and different temperaments and different strengths. And so what would happen is if you were to mix those two and have them be unequally yoked, what it would do is it would cause pain to those animals. And it would make it difficult for them to move together and accomplish the task which they were given to do. And that picture of two animals being yoked together and given a task, that's a really important picture when it comes to marriage or dating or intimate relationships that we might enter into in life. And what that means is this, what it reminds us of is this, God has a calling and a purpose for your life. And what you do with that matters very much. And it wouldn't make any sense to bind yourself, to partner yourself with someone who doesn't help you fulfill that purpose or who makes it harder to fulfill that purpose. So when you're seeking a partner, this is something we keep in mind. God has a calling and a purpose on my life. And therefore, the purpose, you know, what I'm looking for in a partner needs to be someone who can join with me in that task so we can do it together. And right, and what happens as as we don't do that, we, we see some of the examples in the life of Solomon and in the lives of other people in the Bible. The result ends up being pain and struggle for both people involved, and it becomes much harder to fulfill that purpose that God has called you to fulfill. And in some cases, like in the case of Solomon. The people that you are yoked to can actually lead you off course or in a completely different direction. But here's the thing I need to say about that is that when we talk about Solomon turning his heart away from the Lord and we talk about these multiple marriages that he had to pagan women, here's what you need to understand. We are not saying that it is, you know, poor, innocent Solomon who got led astray by these evil, terrible women, you know, not at all. Solomon made his choices and he's responsible. You see, the very fact that Solomon was marrying women who worshiped pagan gods, this was symptomatic of something going on in Solomon's heart, right? Some other things that were taking place in Solomon's heart. It reveals to us a lot about Solomon's priorities and Solomon's values and how Solomon related to God. See, this was a sign, it was a symptom of the fact that Solomon had a divided heart. And that's exactly what this passage wants us to see about him. Look at what it says in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, except, or some translations say, but right? That's never good, right? Like when it says he did something really good, but, right? So it's saying that was good, but there was something that wasn't good. But it says he he sacrificed at the high places, but he married these women who were pagans. You see, this verse is giving us an assessment of Solomon. Generally, he loved the Lord and walked with God, but he also did some stuff that was out of bounds, and he knew it was out of bounds. He knew that this is Coloring outside the lines that God had told him, don't do these things, but he did them anyway. And this is important because if you remember back to chapter two, which we looked at last week, before David died, he told his son Solomon, he told him, I want you to walk with God faithfully. And he says, I want you to walk with God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I want you to hold fast to the word of God. That was in first Kings chapter two, verses one through four. But what we see here in the opening verses of chapter 3 is that Solomon is not doing that. You see, on the one hand, Solomon genuinely does love the Lord, but on the other hand, his heart is divided. See, whereas David was a man after God's own heart, Solomon was a man with a divided heart. That's the difference between these two. Solomon did love the Lord, but he had kind of one foot in and one foot out at the same time. Solomon loves God, but he also uh, picks and chooses when it comes to following God and obeying God in different areas of his life. The fact that he married pagan women is a sign that he isn't fully devoted to God, that his priorities are out of whack. And living with them in marriage, it isn't the thing itself which ruined him. No, it just exacerbated what was already going on within him and, and brought it to a head. You see, it only encouraged and strengthened that part of his divided heart that wasn't given over to God. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells them this. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. And I know some of you guys are rock climbers and you know all about footholds. In a way, footholds are more important than handholds. And so we get this picture that it's painting, this text, which says, don't give the devil a foothold. What's the picture? It's this picture of, right, that there's an enemy of your soul, the devil, who wants to conquer you. Imagine it like a fortress wall surrounding a city. And what's he doing? He's trying to scale the fortress wall and get over it. And of course, it says, don't give him a foothold. Don't give him an opening. Don't give him an opportunity to settle in and take hold and get established in some area of your life. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. All of us are a little bit like Solomon to different degrees, right? You and me both, we all have divided hearts to one degree or another. I'm not up here saying, hey, you should check your heart to see if it's divided, unlike me. No, I'm telling you, all of us, to some degree or another, we have divided hearts. And that's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with rhythms and practices and people who will strengthen those parts of our heart that love the Lord and want to follow in His ways, rather than surrounding ourselves with people and practices and rhythms in our lives that will strengthen the parts of our hearts that lean towards other things. You see, imagine it like this. Your divided heart is almost like this. Imagine that there are two lion cubs, right? You've got two lion cubs. One represents the part of your heart that loves the Lord and desires to walk with him. The other one represents the part of your heart which desires to, to do other things, right? Paul refers to this as the flesh. And every day, Multiple times a day, you get to choose which of these lion cubs you're going to feed. And whichever one you feed, right? On the other hand, you're starving the other one. So you're you're always feeding one and starving the other. Well, over time, the one you feed is going to get stronger and bigger and more powerful. And the one that you starve is going to get weaker and smaller. And so the question for you is this, which one are you going to feed and which one are you going to starve? Paul, the apostle talks about this in terms of sowing seeds, sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life right? Imagine it's the the two lion cubs, right? You're feeding one and you're starving the other. What are you going to do? You make this choice multiple times a day. But here's the thing you need to know, and we see it here in the life of Solomon. If you choose to feed that part of your heart that is wayward, that that loves those things that are not the things of God, right? Feeding the flesh, so to say, then one day what's going to happen is that lion cub of your flesh that it it will get big enough and one day it will turn on you and it will devour you. In the book of Genesis, God himself uses this same analogy, basically. Here's what he says. He's talking to Cain. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. They were the two sons of Adam and Eve and uh, Cain murdered his brother Abel. But before he did that, God could see that Cain was angry. He could see what Cain was contemplating. And God spoke to Cain there. And do you remember what he said to him? He said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Now now let me break that down. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. He's using a metaphor for sin. The metaphor is something that's crouching. What crouches? Things that crouch, right, are tigers, lions, panthers. People crouch sometimes, right? You might crouch down to talk to a a child. You might crouch down when you're playing a game with somebody, right? Why do you crouch? To make yourself look smaller than you actually are. To make yourself look less innocent, right? You crouch down to speak to a child. Why? To make yourself not look so intimidating. Now, what is he saying about sin? This is what sin is like. The danger, the insidiousness of sin is that it presents itself as something that's not that big of a deal, something that's not that dangerous, something that's not that intimidating, something that you can handle. But as it's crouching down, what is it doing? It's preparing for its attack. You see, the way sin and compromise present themselves in your life is this. They present themselves as something innocent, something that's not that big of a deal. You say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that thing, but it's not that big of a deal. I can handle it. I've got it under control. But again, if you keep feeding that lion, eventually it gets so big, it gets so strong, That it turns on you and it will overcome you and it will rip you to shreds. That is exactly what we see in the life of Solomon. That is exactly how it happened. And that story has been told over and over again in countless lives. Guys, all of us, we have crouching sins. Do you know what the crouching sins are in your life? I'll tell you a good way to recognize them. Usually the crouching sins in your life, the ones that are perhaps the most dangerous, are the ones which you know are wrong and yet you make excuses for them because you say it's not that big of a deal. That's what Solomon did with his wives here. That's what Solomon did with with making sacrifices at the high places, which I'm gonna explain here in a second. You see, when it comes to God, here's what you need to know. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. You see, I talk to some people and it's as if they think that God is like a a, a kind of cosmic control freak, right? Like he's insecure and he has nothing better to do than just dish out arbitrary commands. But I want you to know that's not at all the case. Not at all, right? Even when it describes the law in the Old Testament, it says, these laws which are for your good always, right? In other words, God is a father, a loving father, and he's been around a while. He knows some stuff and he knows what's best for you and he absolutely loves you. He wants what's best for you. He doesn't want to see you suffering unnecessarily. He wants to see you joyful and thriving. So here's what we see throughout the Bible. We see it in life of Solomon and and elsewhere as well. You could put it this way. Holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness, but sin leads to pain, heartache, sorrow, and ultimately death. We are going to see that play out in the life of Solomon. See, what we have here, we're seeing now in seed form what is going to take root in Solomon's life and is going to come to full flower, and that flower is not going to be good. You see, all of us have a divided heart to one degree or another. All of us have crouching sins in our lives. And the question is, will you feed them or will you starve them? Will you give Satan a foothold in your life, a way to get established, right? An opening, an in. Or will you surround yourself with people and practices and rhythms, which will help to build and strengthen the parts of your heart which love the Lord and desire to walk in his ways. You know, that, that's why we encourage you guys. Rhythms are so important community groups, taking communion, being at church, right? Because what are you doing? As you do these things, you're training your heart. You are training your heart to love certain things and starve other things. You're feeding and starving when you do these practices. Augustine, St. Augustine, he had this thing where he said, you know, most of us, the sins in our lives, the idolatries, the way that we walk away from God, it, it isn't usually conscious. Like we don't just sit down and make a conscious decision. I'm going to go apostate today, right? No. He says, we walk into them one step at a time. Therefore, the way to walk out of those things is one step at a time, through rhythms, through, through surrounding ourselves, through forming ourselves into certain kinds of people, through practices. And so that's why we are always encouraging you guys. And I want to encourage you, now is a perfect time to join a community group. If you haven't done so yet, we want you to contact us and let us know. We'll get you in a group. They're starting up right now. But here's the point. Even at this early stage in his time as king, Solomon was a man with a divided heart. What we're seeing here are the seeds of something that's going to come into full flower later in Solomon's life, and it will destroy him. Ultimately, it will lead to the destruction of of Israel. And, And this is meant to be a warning for us, right? So that we can deal with the crouching sins in our lives before it's too late. The second area where we see Solomon's divided heart is in regard to what are called the high places, making sacrifices in the high places. Now, just to make it really simple for you, the the deal with the high places is this they were unregulated places of worship. They were altars that were set up, and and you could think of them as like public altars where people came to make sacrifices to whatever gods they worshiped. So if you were an Israelite, you would go to one of these public altars and you would make a sacrifice to Yahweh. But the next guy in line behind you, he's going to use that same altar to make a sacrifice to whatever pagan god he worships. And this this was forbidden, by the way, in the law of Moses. It was allowed to have certain altars, but they had to be regulated, and they could never be used for pagan practice. Now, there was a great high place in Gibeon. We read about that in just a minute here. And that is where the tabernacle was located. Now, later on, when the temple is built... All of the high places, including the regulated ones, like the ones at Shiloh and the one at Gilgal and Hebron, they are going to be shut down and all of the worship of Israel is going to be centralized into the temple. But the problem with Solomon is not that he's going to the regulated high places, right? The the specific ones is that he was going to these kind of public Altars, which were used for mixed purposes for worshiping God and worshiping pagan idols. And the reason that was wrong is because God had said, no, don't do that. Don't mix those things ever. And yet Solomon did it anyway. So again, this is an issue of Solomon having a compromised and divided heart. And you can imagine it probably started with some kind of excuse like saying, well, you know, I'm still worshiping God, so it's not that big of a deal. But again, the, the point is Solomon is not following God fully. He's making excuses, blurring the lines, coloring outside the lines. And again, sin is like this crouching tiger that presents itself as something Innocent, something you don't need to worry about, something that's not as dangerous as it truly is. But as you keep feeding it, as you keep making excuses, eventually what happens is that it grows and it will overcome you and it will devour you. And that is what we're going to see happen. Sadly, in the life of Solomon, we see the seeds of it here right at the beginning of his reign as king. So we see this next section we see here is a noble request, a noble request. It says in verse 4, Solomon went up to Gibeon, where there was the great high place. And the reason it's called the great high place is because at this time, Gibeon was the place where the tabernacle was located. So the tabernacle, if you're not familiar with that term, before the temple was built... For 500 years, the worship of Israel was centered in this big tent called the tabernacle, and they took it with them as they traveled through the wilderness and into the promised land, and they set it up at different places. King Saul, we read, moved the tabernacle to Gibeon. That's where it is right now when this is written. Now, David had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but at this time, the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem, but the tabernacle was still in Gibeon. Now, but Here's what we know. What is this ceremony? It says that he sacrificed a thousand animals. Now just, that's a lot of work, by the way. And it's a ton of money. What is this? It tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 that this was actually Solomon's inauguration ceremony as king. And here's what we read at the end of this inauguration ceremony. It tells us in verse 5, Solomon went to sleep that night, and that night God spoke to him in a dream. Now, God does, not every time you have a dream is it God speaking. We see, really, the, the number of significant dreams in the Bible is, is actually quite small compared to the amount of time that the Bible covers. But in this dream, God spoke to Solomon, and here's what he said. Ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, now we look at that, and I, I think that many of us look at that, and we say, Wow, what an incredible offer. I wish that someday God would give me that kind of offer because I know exactly what I would ask for, right? If I could ask for anything I want, I wish that God would do that for me. Well, guess what? I've got good news for you, and that is this. God has made that same offer to me and to you in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Let me, let me read you a couple passages. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Or how about John 15, verse 7, where Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Or how about 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything in his name, he hears us. See, the same offer that God made to Solomon is the one that he has made to you and to me. What an incredible opportunity that is. Let me ask you, what will you do with that opportunity? Imagine if I would tell you Solomon was given this opportunity and And if I told you, well, here's how the story ended. Solomon was like, okay, yeah, thanks, cool. Maybe later I'll get around to it. You'd be like, what a foolish thing to do. He's been offered anything. He's been offered that he can come to God and ask for anything he wants. And yet how many of us respond in a similar way? We've been offered this incredible gift. How foolish would it be for us to not take advantage of this opportunity? So let me ask you this. How will you take advantage of this opportunity that God has offered you to ask for anything you want? What will you ask for? A new car? A new job? Success? Good health? Financial prosperity? You can ask for any of those things, but let me show you what Solomon asked for. It says in verse 7, Solomon said, O Lord my God, you made me king even though I'm just a little child. I don't even know how to come in and go out. And he says, you made me the king over this great people who are so many. Give me therefore an understanding mind that I might govern them and discern between good and evil. So Solomon, what he's asking for is wisdom so he can lead the people well. He says in verse seven, I am but a little child. Now, as I mentioned to you earlier, Solomon was not... an actual child at this time, right? He already had a one-year-old son. He's already been married at least two times, right? He's a young adult. So when he says, I am a little child, it's really a poetic way of him expressing his inadequacy for this great task of leadership that he's faced with and this calling to be king. And you have to appreciate Solomon's humility here, right? Solomon is admitting that he doesn't have what it takes to do this job, but he knows that God is able to fill up what is lacking in him and give him what he needs in order to fulfill this calling. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. And you say, oh good, God will never give me more than I can handle. And then all of a sudden, God does give you more than you can handle. And you're like, wait a second, I thought God would never give me what I, uh, more than I can handle. Friends, I hope you know, that's not, like a promise from the Bible that God will not give you more than you can handle. There are going to be many situations in your life where you feel that you are way in over your head, that God has dealt you a hand that you are not equipped to deal with. But I want to tell you the good news. You will never face a situation in your life that, that is too big for God to handle. You will never face a situation in your life that is too big for God to handle. And God's promise to you is not that he won't ever give you something you can't handle. His promise to you is this, that if you take his hand and walk with him, then no matter what challenges you face, he will be with you. And he will give you the strength to walk through even the most difficult situations with him. You see, those situations that are too much for us to handle, in a way, it's good. It's good for us. It's healthy. It's needed for us because those are the times when we really grow. Why? Because those are the situations which force us into a place of dependence on God. They force us into a place of seeking him for guidance and help and provision. Those are the situations that drive us to God and make us cling to him. And it's because God loves you, in fact, it is because he loves you that he will allow situations into your life that are more than you're cut out to handle. Why? In order to make you aware of your need for him, in order to drive you to him. Solomon realized here that he didn't have what it took to fulfill this task, so he asked God for wisdom. In fact, what he asked for, literally, he says, give your servant an understanding mind. Literally, what it says here is, give me a hearing heart. That's what it means in Hebrew. Give me a hearing heart, a heart that listens to God and understands. He wants not just knowledge. He wants wisdom. He wants understanding to know how to act in practical situations. It's been said that knowledge means knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad, right? So there's the the difference right there. Solomon understands that a key component of leadership is having the wisdom and the discernment to deal with difficult, complicated situations. And so Solomon realizes what he lacks. He comes to God asking for wisdom and discernment so he can be the best king he can possibly be. And now we see the response of God, our final point here. God was pleased with Solomon asking for this, and he granted Solomon's request. At the end of the chapter, we're given an example of Solomon's great wisdom. We can read it together, starting there in verse 16. It says that two women came one day and stood before the king. And the one woman said, O Lord, this woman and I, we live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, right? So, two babies. She says, We were alone. No one was in the house with us. Only the two of us were there. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose at midnight, took my son from beside me while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely, I realized um, that he was not the child I had born. But the other woman said, No, the child is mine. The dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child's yours. The living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. So it's one person's word against the other. How can you possibly know? The king said, This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. The other one says, no, your son is dead. My son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. You can imagine the people. They must have been so nervous when he said, bring me a sword. What's he going to do? And so a sword was brought to the king. The king says, now divide the child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Simple, simple solution, right? Says the one woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son. Oh my lord give her the living child by no means put him to death but the other one said well he'll either be mine nor your neither be mine nor yours divide him the king answered and said give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death she is his mother and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived the wisdom of god was in him To do justice. So Solomon was faced with a difficult, maybe even an impossible situation to figure out. He acts wisely in a way that reveals who the true mother was because the true mother loved the child more than she loved herself. How does all of this apply to us? Well, first of all, God has not only invited us to ask for whatever we want, but He has offered us His wisdom. In In James 1, verse 5, we're told this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in the situations that you face in life, I guarantee there are times when you need wisdom, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your family, you need wisdom to navigate situations because not all situations are black and white, right? Sometimes you can't see what will be the long-term repercussions of going in one direction versus another. And so we need God's divine wisdom. And the good news is that the same offer that was made to Solomon has been made to us as well in Jesus. In order to receive it, what do we need to do? We need to humbly ask and admit that we need help. But what I really want to talk to you about today is this. You know, there's a greater, there's a more important application to all of this than just the fact that God offers us wisdom, which alone is great. But guys, check this out. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 31, Jesus said something incredible. He was talking to Jewish people. Now keep in mind, for the Jewish people, Solomon is their national pride. He's their hero. He led Israel during its golden age, the great empire. He was famous for his wisdom. People came from all over the world to hear his wisdom. And Jesus looked at these Jewish people and said, you know how people from all over the world used to come to hear Solomon? Well, behold, someone greater than Solomon is here standing before you today. What a bold move, right? What a bold thing to say. What a bold way to describe yourself to Israelite people. You know Solomon? Well, I am greater than Solomon. And here in this text, right, Solomon was known for his wisdom. Jesus is saying, you know the wisdom of Solomon? My wisdom is greater still. But you know what? It goes beyond that. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Solomon may have had a great measure of God's wisdom, but Jesus possesses all of God's wisdom. But that's not all. There's more, guys. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul is contrasting the wisdom of this world, which is not really wisdom, and the wisdom of God, which sometimes seems like foolishness to the world. And he concludes that section by describing Jesus in this way. He says that God has given us Jesus, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is The wisdom of God made manifest, personified with feet on. The wisdom of God made manifest for us. And you say, oh, cool. Okay, cool, right? Like, I get it. Like, Jesus was smart, and he knew lots of stuff, right? No, no, no. It's much bigger and much better than that. Let me explain. In the book of Proverbs, it describes It's a book all about wisdom, right? But it describes wisdom in several parts as a person, A person who speaks and calls out, but not just a person who speaks. In Proverbs chapter 8, go ahead and read it. It says this, that this wisdom of God that is personified, it's a person who existed before the world was created. And it is through this person, wisdom, that those things that are created were created. And this person, wisdom, cries out to people in the streets, to forsake folly, to turn to him and be saved. In fact, listen to what it says in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself and all who hate me love death. The gospel of John begins with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Sounds a lot like Proverbs chapter 8, doesn't it? It is, and here's why. That word that's translated word, you'll notice in your Bibles, it's capitalized. Why? Here's why. Because for the Greeks. That word in Greek is the word logos. And logos for the Greeks meant something more than just a word on a page. No, the idea of logos was this idea of the wisdom behind the universe. Some people in our day and age, right, they call it a higher power. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, you know how you guys believe that there's a higher power, that there's some kind of force behind the universe, some kind of wisdom that holds the universe together and created everything? Well, I'm here to tell you today that that wisdom is a person. That wisdom is God, and that wisdom is a person named Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He is the wisdom of God, the wisdom that created the world, the wisdom that sustains your life. And he says in verse 12, that that wisdom... Jesus, he came to us. The wisdom of God came to us. His name is Jesus. And to all who receive him, who believe on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. You see, friends, Just like Solomon realized that there was something that he lacked, there was something that he needed from God. He had the humility to admit his need and to ask God to fill up what was lacking in him and meet the need that he had. We too have a need for God's wisdom. In fact, we need his wisdom for something more than just making the right decisions at work and at home. We need the wisdom of God, the wisdom that created the world, the wisdom of God that saves fools from their folly. We need the wisdom of God that, like the baby in this story, right? That saves us from being handed over to Satan and facing the sword of judgment. We need the wisdom of God that can save us from the crouching sins in our lives because of our divided hearts. And the good news is that God not only offers us wisdom to fulfill the callings he gives us, but much more than that. God has provided his wisdom in a person, Jesus Christ. And like the mother in this story that we read, God is the true father who loved us more than he loved his own life. He sacrificed himself for you in love to save you from the sword of judgment. See, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God made manifest, the wisdom that created the world, the wisdom that can save your soul and make you a child of God. And he is calling out to you today, inviting you to come to him. And so may you and I, may we like Solomon, recognize our desperate need for God's wisdom. And may we have the humility to come to him and receive this gift, the wisdom of God made manifest for us in a person, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us so that we could become sons and daughters of God. Amen? Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we, like Solomon, recognize that we need your wisdom. Lord, we need ultimately your wisdom, not just to know the right things to do. We need that too. But Lord, we need your wisdom to save us, to save us from the folly of our crouching sins. Lord, to save us from destruction and death. Lord, thank you that the same wisdom of God that created the world, the same wisdom of God that uh, sustains our lives, Lord, You have come to us because you loved us. You've come to us to save us. So Lord, we need that wisdom in every way. Lord, we ask that you would come into our lives. We humble ourselves before you, admit our need for you. Lord, thank you for what you have done on the cross. Thank you that you have given yourself for us to save us from the sword of judgment by taking it yourself. We humbly accept and receive by faith that gift of the gospel. And we ask that as we go forth from this moment, Lord, help us to live in light of this radical truth by your wisdom, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.